We can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. Black men turn out this election cycle saved uh, the country and not just uh, Biden and the Democratic Party. Polling is it's kind of like a, a hurricane forecast. There's going to be a lot of soul searching and, you know, we, we got to go from there. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome into the Debrief podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. As soon as the presidential election was called, a new race began. The race to declare which group of voters delivered for president-elect Joe Biden and limited President Trump to one term. The most obvious shift came from those three battleground states that Trump flipped to red in 2016. We're talking about Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania that all flipped back to blue. Now, in those states and around much of America, the results show that voters in suburban areas backed Biden at a higher level than they did Hillary Clinton. And even with record turnout, especially in rural areas that favor President Trump, it was enough to swing those key states back to the Democrats. Another source of credit, though, goes to black voters. Black lives matter, period. To every black American, vote for Trump. More than a third of America's black voters live in some of the country's most competitive states. Our livelihoods, our well-being, our everyday is at stake in this election. The Republican Party is has lost urban areas, is losing suburban areas. These are black communities in Detroit, in Kenosha, in Philly, in Atlanta that delivered for the Democratic Party. As Jelani Cobb so well put it in The New Yorker, he says to be black in the first week of November 2020 is to yet again have the feeling of being called off the bench and being told that the whole game is riding on you. So today we're going to explore how this happened, how community organizers mobilized black voters in places like Georgia, where one-time gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams was instrumental in driving a Democratic turnout that gave Biden the edge in a state that's been reliably Republican. We're also going to discuss what else we learned about this shift in America since 2016 and what went wrong with the polls again. Let's welcome in Mondale Robinson, who is the founder of the Black Male Voter Project and someone who really has some expertise, a lot to share about this topic. Mondale, first off, thank you so much for the time. And before we get to what you do, you've seen these headlines, New York Times, Black voters helped deliver Biden a presidential victory. The Atlantic says what Biden owes Black voters. And I want to get your take on that conventional wisdom, that takeaway that we're seeing in mainstream media outlets. I definitely um, am super excited about these headlines. I think, though, they lack the nuance of that's necessary to give proper credit. We, we need to say this. Black men turn out this election cycle saved uh, the country and not just uh, Biden and the Democratic Party olden black men for the results of this election, this whole entire country, uh, old black man for saving this country from Donald Trump and the problems that exist uh, in this current administration that almost threaten our democracy. So the world specifically should say thank you to black men, a demographic that has traditionally been invisible to electoral politics or made the villain of all bad things, uh, American politics. When people read those headlines and and maybe don't go and dig a little deeper, they may miss out on uh, the nuance, like you mentioned, and some of the reasons 
that this credit is being thrown toward the black voters. One of the areas that's been pretty obvious is Georgia, where you've done a lot of work, an area that was never really considered a state that's a swing state. And now, even though there's a recount, there's still Biden in the lead over the Republican Donald Trump. What happened in Georgia in your mind? Uh, It's just more resources spent on voters and their issues versus centering candidates and party. People forget this. Georgia is not a red state by mistake. Georgia is a red state because the Democratic Party has forever uh, put a small amount or no resources into that state. We don't lose Georgia because uh, the voters aren't there, the voters that we need. We lose Georgia because of lack of investment. If you consider that no one votes by mistake, voting is a habit that's formed by resources being spent on it. And no one was targeting a massive amount of black men in Georgia. Think about this. Of the black men registered to vote in Georgia, nearly 480,000 of them had not voted in five consecutive federal elections before 2020. Wow. That is not a voter registration problem. That is a voter engagement and voter turnout problem that lies directly at the foot of the Democratic Party. So you ask what happened. This election cycle, we we started October 2019 investing in brothers that the world call sporadic voter, meaning they don't vote every election. They're already registered to vote. These are not young voters, per se, because these people have been registered to vote since before Barack Obama ran for the first term and they had not participated in any election since 2008. So that means they're at least uh, 30 years old. We focused on these brothers and their issues in Georgia and talked to them all year round, not in no transactional way and saying that this election is the most important or this president's going to save your life or this guy has a cape or this guy's a boogie monster. We simply talked to these brothers about issues most important to them. And by talking, I really mean listening, deep listening, deep canvassing conversations in multimodal platforms. And and we were able to engage these brothers in a way that felt real to them, authentic to them in a voice and rhythm that lived that matched their lived experiences. And because of that, we saw an increase in turnout. We knew it was going to happen in the primary. Many, many pollsters, many political consultants said Georgia wasn't a part of the winning strategy. But I knew uh, in the primary when we saw uh, 144,000 black men who did not vote for Barack Obama in 2008 in the primary, did not vote for him in 2012, did not vote in any midterm election since then, and did not vote in 2018 in the primary, even when we had Stacey Abrams on the ballot, turn out this election cycle. Um, So these are brothers who aren't kids who are registered to vote five plus election cycles and had not participated. But because we target them, focusing on their issues, they saw fit to come to the polls this election cycle. I don't know that anyone's, you know, at least at the, the mainstream level, pointed out these flaws that you're talking about. Do you think this will change after what we saw this year? I, th- I think for this type of campaigning to happen, we're going to go back to uh, regular number of elections. Uh, there's, there's a possibility in this country that we can always have 140 million plus Americans participating when we engage voters uh, on their issues. It is a way that we can expand the electorate in a real way. And, and if we don't, we're going to go back to these mediocre uh, election turnouts and, and talk about squeaking past. But when we have this many Americans excited about uh, issues, you see, you see that mainstream uh, missing the point in a lot of ways. Let me give you a great example. All these pollsters were talking about there. There's a lack of enthusiasm uh, in in Democratic voters, but then we see 74 plus million people voting for Democratic candidates. That means you're measuring enthusiasm in the wrong way. You're talking about candidates and party and not issues that match what the Democratic platform looks like. And because they didn't do that, and because they did 
say that you, you imagine enthusiasm based on candidates, they got the wrong idea of who was going to turn out and where they were going to turn out at. We already knew that issues were making people extremely excited. Uh, so the party is saying we don't want to defund the police. We don't want to uh, scream about the Green New Deal. But the entire population that supports them is saying we are in support of the Green New Deal and defunding the police. And you saw that in the streets uh, with the protesters and, and, and all this this entire summer. And I think people people forget that mainstream media and pundits and consultant class don't really drive what happens at the voting poll. People people tend to think because they see them on their nightly news that this is what's really going on in political uh, processes at the state level or at, or at the street level, but it's not, it's not even how we engage people. I would never go to voters and talk about uh, the issues that, that, that folk are saying are number one for black people, because I know my demographic black men aren't moved in that manner. Uh, healthcare, if you listen to pundits, is the number one issue for black, black community. When in actuality talking to black men, healthcare is almost as unpopular as Donald Trump. Hmm. One of the issues that was real puzzling and may have impacted some of the polling error is how people reacted to COVID. I'm curious what you saw among black men or the greater black community when it came to this issue, where the Democrats made a big point of Donald Trump's handling was so bad that you need to vote for our guy, Joe Biden, when it comes to COVID. And it doesn't seem like the polls, at least from the way things have played out and we're still counting votes, but it doesn't seem like it was that cut and dry. It's not that cut and dry. I mean, and also I, I think people should people should acknowledge that. I mean, Donald Trump's handling of the COVID is ridiculously uh, embarrassing, not just uh, for a human, but as a person who is, the, you know, the leader of the free world uh, to say that, you know, your response to a mass pandem- a pandemic is magic. Um, that that's tragic. But to go a step further, I think Democrats misread the tea leaves, so to say, if they believe that COVID is the response. And also it's to be a historical in, in short history. It's a historical to say that COVID is the reason. If you look at what's been going on in this country since 2016, America has been trying to rid itself of young voters. Black voters have been trying to rid themselves of Donald Trump's ever since then. He's been a negative president in elections. He's been losing elections since he won 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. We saw loss uh, and also the 2020 primary and, and not just small losses. The people, the Democrats that lost in the general election look different than the Democrats that won in the primary. What I mean by that is the progressive Democrats didn't lose seats uh, in, in the House. None of the squad lost their seats. Uh, those that lost their seats were those who played milk toast politics, those who were lukewarm on issues that these demographics that were turning out in droves support. So it's, it's not the progressive part that is the, the fault or nor is it COVID solely. I think you miss so much when you think this this uh, that people wouldn't have turned out anyway because they were trying to rid themselves of Donald Trump because the past three elections uh, in off years show that people were already voting at higher numbers than they traditionally would. Okay, here's the tightrope that Democrats have to walk, though, because you're talking about the progressive issues and what you're saying about uh, some of those congressional candidates is true. However, uh, what really swung the election, and I don't know, uh, certainly if all, all the political experts will tell you, the difference in those swing states was suburban voters who in 2016 went for Trump. Biden was able to siphon off a lot of those suburban voters, and it swung a state like Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania back in the other direction. And so um, I'm looking back and, and, and connecting it to this topic in South Carolina with the endorsement of Jim Clyburn and the primary 
they they go with the less progressive candidate in Joe Biden. And so it, it, am I wrong to think, well, look, yeah. that decision yeah. there also can be roped into this conversation of how the, you know, the black voters made the difference in defeating Donald Trump, because so, I'm not so, so sure you can look at this and say the other candidates would have fared better than Joe Biden. So, so I, I, I definitely don't say that other candidates would have fared better than Joe Biden, but I will say this a couple of things. Uh, white, the white mainstream media likes to believe that J- Clyburn actually won the South for Joe Biden. This is this is a this is a misnomer. J- Clyburn does not have fl- sway outside of South Carolina, and I don't even know if he has a lot of sway with young voters in South Carolina. This is a this is this, this is a gatekeeper culture that people believe the uh, people outside of our community believe Clyburn can't move black people in Virginia, or Georgia, or North Carolina. That is a misnomer. Black men are prompt to turn out for Joe Biden in the primary of this year because the lack of effort from other candidates. If you consider black people aren't going to go with some new old white man who's screaming at them, i.e. Bernie Sanders, who has no investment in that state. In 2016, he did the same thing. He didn't invest in uh, African-American outreach in a serious way. And then 2020 was the same thing. He started building a team way too late. He spent all of his time in Iowa. Joe Biden didn't go to Iowa, basically. He showed up uh, and bet all his eggs on South Carolina. Plus that name is more familiar than Bernie Sanders. So people, people, there's, there's a more nuanced conversation, even about black people choosing a, a less progressive over a more progressive. That's not really what happened. Black people have a long history with new old white people that has been harmful to our community. So to, to, to learn something new is meaning Bernie Sanders in two weeks is a, is a, is an idea that makes no sense, especially when his, when his outreach uh, this year was still saying that I didn't support reparation. Bernie Sanders didn't support reparation at the beginning of this year, pre-COVID. Um, so to people, people need to acknowledge that sometimes what we call progressives in, in traditional politics uh, ain't really progressive for some black folk, right? So Bernie Sanders is the king of progressive right now, but he's, he's new to reparations. Right, right. It's interesting. Uh, Mondo, because you are... At this core of black male voter project and you're you know, trying to mobilize black voters, bringing them back to the polls. I'm so curious for your take on something that, that I, I, I'd always, I just love a theory on this last week on this podcast, we talked to a man who is at the center of Latino voter outreach and I asked him the same question before the election. And now there's even stronger correlation between Trump's success with male voters across all demographics. And obviously there's levels of success, right? He's more successful with white male voters. He's had more appeal uh, with Latino voters than black male voters, but he certainly across the board has has had more appeal among men than women. And because of your work and your organization, I'm just curious what your theory is that explains the appeal. I, I, I just got to wait till the, the numbers dry out. I don't trust Edison Academy. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and that's no knock on them, but it is a knock on exit polls. I mean, they, they're the same people in 2016 that said 54% of white women uh, voted for Hillary Clinton. And then when we know after, you know, it flushed out, that number was way off and wrong. You know, the other issue with exit polls, there's always imperfections, but this year, especially such a small percentage of the electorate voted on election day when those things are done exactly. because of all the mail-in votes. So it's a good point uh, to, to question that one, understandably. Hey, Amanda, uh, thanks so much for the time. Really good to catch up and chat and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, ma'am. Peace. Peace. 
But now on to the race for president. There's a new poll. NBC News poll. National polls show it is a much tighter race right now. Do you trust election polls a lot, a little, or not at all? Very little. A little bit. It's going with a little, for sure. I'm definitely going with a little. Really great to bring in Mark Murray now to this conversation. He's the senior political editor for NBC News and very involved in the polling process there. Mark, always great to chat with you. And I'm so curious to get your take on what did go wrong, what went right in the polls. But before we do that, I want to follow up on the conversation we've been having about the mobilization of black voters in some of these key swing states specifically where you're seeing the credit for flipping uh, Georgia potentially or states that were already called like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, a lot of credit being given to black voters. What's your takeaway about how influential that section of America was? Uh, They were absolutely influential, not only in the general election, but also during the primary process for Joe Biden. That without his big win in South Carolina, without an endorsement from Jim Clyburn uh, before the South Carolina primary, Joe Biden wouldn't have probably gotten the Democratic nomination. And certainly his general election, you can just see the turnout and the Democratic performance in places like Wayne County, Michigan. That's Detroit. You end up looking at places like Milwaukee County uh, that is with, for in Wisconsin. And then, of course, in Philadelphia uh, for Pennsylvania. And my takeaway for Joe Biden's winning formulas in all three states in the general election was that he basically ran the 2016 campaign better than Hillary Clinton did. One important component was getting more and more African-American turnout, winning them decisively and building up really big margins in these states where, you know, every single vote mattered. And, you know, Mark, on the other side of it, you have supporters of President Trump pointing to his ability to siphon away, according to some of the results we've seen, siphon away some of the black vote. Obviously, Democrats still overwhelmingly won black voters, but that he was more successful than other Republican candidates for president in our recent memory. Are, have you seen that too? And what do you think is happening there? Yeah, Adam. So the exit poll also showed that while Joe Biden just racked up, you know, these really big margins among African-Americans in these key swing counties and these swing states, Donald Trump bettered his performance with African-Americans and Latinos versus 2016. And one of the, I think the differences that's actually going on here is geographical, where in these urban counties, the ones that I was just mentioning to you, like Detroit, Philadelphia and Milwaukee, uh, Democrats did better than they did four years ago. But where the improvement was for President Trump was in a lot of the rural areas, some of the rural uh, African-American counties in North Carolina, for example. And so in some ways, this kind of uh, geographical divide that we've been seeing in our politics between urban and rural, the education divide, I also actually think is playing out uh, in different racial groups right now. And so, and that allowed Donald Trump to have a little bit better performance with African-Americans and better performance with Latinos. Okay, now to the question I know you've been looking forward to. What went wrong with polling? It's a little deja vu. We did this in 2016. But if you look at the, and the numbers aren't final. The results are still coming in because of so many mail-in votes. But it seems at least the, the, the wide view is the polls were off in 2020 in a similar way to how they were off in 2016. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, uh, look, I, the polls were off. And when you end up looking at the public and also I was privy to a lot of private polling from the Democratic and Republican parties and their polls pretty much matched up to where the polls that we ran and that we were all seeing publicly. And to me, it was everyone was off. And in some ways, you're off about three points, both nationally and in the battleground states. And so when you would have, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, once all the vote has been counted, Joe Biden's going to end up with a five or six point national lead over President Trump. Uh, but a lot of the public polling, including ours, showed Joe Biden's lead about eight points or 10 points. And so um, that was off. Um, of course, in the battleground states, you ended up having Joe Biden on average head in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan between five and eight points. Those turned out to be closer. And so to me, kind of a quick rule of thumb is I almost, you know, you shave off about three points from Joe Biden's final polling average or his polling lead. And you shave three points off. And that's kind of almost the result we ended up getting. And as I've been thinking about, you know, what we did in 20, the polls in 2016 versus 2020. And as you and I have mentioned, we did a whole lot of soul searching after the 2016 election and trying to actually change our polls where we were capturing more whites without college degrees, a lot more rural voters. We'd taken so many steps to not kind of recreate what had gone on in 2016. But when I look back in 2016, the biggest mistake was the analysis rather than the numbers. The final numbers actually showed a pretty close race between uh, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, and certainly one within the margin of error. And the analytical mistake was, oh, Hillary Clinton is ahead by two, three, four points. She's got this in the bag as opposed to, you know what, two, three, four points, you could end up winning. Uh, you might not be able to win the Electoral College with those kind of national numbers. And we're all kind of in the margin of error. In 2020, I actually think we got the analysis right, that in a lot of ways that we were kind of skeptical, are the polls really right? This could be a really close race. There's a lot of uncertainty with how ballots are being counted in this coronavirus. You know, could President Trump come back? Yes, the polls were wrong. And even when we ended up getting poll results, it ended up showing, hey, Joe Biden is ahead by three or four points in a place like Florida. In our headlines and in all of our analysis, we were saying, hey, guys, this is a margin of error contest, which it turned out to be. So I think we got the analysis right. The, the, in 2020, at least so far, and we still have uh, votes to left to count, is that the numbers were, were off. And as I mentioned to you, off by about three points on average uh, in national and state polls. And that is a problem, I think, for the profession the political profession and the polling profession on like, how do we try to get things right as we turn our eyes to the next election cycle? Some folks out there are, are so upset about the polls being off. Uh, we've talked to people out there like, hey, these are useless. Is there a way to adjust and, and maybe reinvent this industry to to get people back to if they don't necessarily fully trust, but to at least trust them more? Yeah, look, I think that it's always important to note that polling is it's kind of like a, a hurricane forecast where you're always trying to tell people, hey, we think the hurricane is going to be hitting in this state, but we might not be able to tell you exactly what city the eye of the hurricane is going to hit. And sometimes I think that we've gotten kind of in when it comes to polling, we we're trying to guarantee people to say, hey, this particular political hurricane is coming right in this X city where maybe we should do a better job of actually just explaining the best we can actually do is tell you the state, the general location 
but we actually can't tell you exactly where it's going to be. And I think that that is probably a better rule of thumb. I still think that polling is incredibly important for us to be able to just gauge public opinion, not necessarily in the horse race, but what policies are important. What is the job approval rating of the president? Uh, what are uh, impressions of the political parties? And you know, you get outside of likely voter models and you get outside of who's ahead in the horse race. And I think that's very valuable. But even when it comes to the horse race situation, to me, the alternatives are even worse. Uh, and we have to get, I think we, we need to do a better job and be committed to get the polling right. But it, the, the alternatives to polling are, well, okay, well, are we going to end up going to diners and restaurants and interview voters? And that's actually a whole lot less scientific of a way to gauge the electorate. Do we end up measuring yard signs or people who attend rallies? And so to me, the alternatives are worse, but I do think that we do need to get polling right. And Adam, you know, the, to me, the biggest miss and what polling needs to be able to get right, at least is where you're continuing to be in this Trump era for another 10 weeks, and maybe he runs again for president, is that we are missing uh, a good portion of his voters. We thought we had taken all these steps after 2016 to make sure that we got him. But once again, we, we miss them. And maybe it's because they're refusing to participate in polls. Maybe that our technologies on phone polls and even online polls are somehow missing them, but we're missing these voters. And that's a pretty rough place to be when you want to be able to get political polling right. It's such a good point. And that hurricane analogy is a good one. And we know it all too well at the TV news business, that code of uncertainty. It's yeah. important to remind people about the levels of uncertainty. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to polling. Yeah, sure. yeah. You, you got it. Yeah. No. So we, we just, you know, uh, I think that we need to take some steps. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of soul searching and, you know, we, we got to go from there. Mark, thanks so much for the time. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, Adam, take care. And we thank you for listening. And a big thanks to our production team as well. Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. We'll check back with you next time on The Debrief. <laughs>